This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Roundup. I have a bunch of cool stuff to talk about this week. And also, last week I was back on the Retro Roundtable, which was a lot of fun. Uh, I really missed doing that. And we got into a great discussion about power conditioning for your products. Uh, I'm only about halfway through the research before I can start recommending exactly the right setup for you know your average handful of scenarios. But if anybody's nerds like me and like hearing the discussion in progress, definitely give that one a listen. Um, and we don't put anything else out on that YouTube channel other than those podcasts. So definitely subscribe and click the little bell so that way you get notified when we go live. And like I said, we don't spam anybody. You're not going to get a bunch of random videos on there. It's just when we do the roundup. So it's probably best to click the bell for that one and you know just do the regular notifications for this channel because I will be posting a lot more stuff soon. Hopefully stuff you guys like, but whatever. Uh, but let's jump right into the news. First up, FirebrandX started posting his settings for the open source scan converter. So anybody that's been following this channel knows I'm a huge fan of his FrameMeister profiles, which basically you load them on an SD card, you select which one you want, and you have pretty much the perfect settings for each console. And he's starting to do the same with the open source scan converter. Uh, you can't dump them on a memory card and load them just yet, but you can program them in manually. And then you just have to write down, like, you know, setting number zero, Super Nintendo, setting number one, Genesis, and all that stuff. Uh, but he's got all the, the different timings up, and I'm really interested in taking a look at the Genesis ones, because I haven't really dug into that yet. Um, actually, kind of funny, when I first saw this page, I was about to email Firebrand X and say, hey, you got the 256 mode and the 320 mode Genesis uh, profiles, but how would we know which one to use? And my dumbass didn't realize that he had the game list right there. <laughs> so you, uh, if you're wondering which, if it's a 256 or 320, you could check out his game list. Um, and then also all of the actual settings are right here. So huge thank you to Firebrand X for doing this. Um, I can't wait to start testing and really dig into all this. Um, I really do... I really do think it makes a difference. So many people are just like, well, can't you just play? But I don't know. When I'm playing a game and I'm really sucked in, and all of a sudden I just see something that distracts me from the game, it does take away from it, for at least in my opinion. So getting the settings as dialed in as possible and then being able to save them on the open source scan converter is pretty awesome. This way you just load it up, select which uh, save slot you've chosen for it, and go from there. So... Big thanks to him, and don't forget, if you're a fan of his work, please consider supporting his Patreon, because I would love to see this stuff just continuously getting posted. So, thanks to everybody. Steam has just announced they'll be releasing their iOS and Android apps later this summer, including ones for Apple TV. So, this is pretty cool for people like me that would want to play Steam games on their TV with a controller and not even touch a computer. Um, I'm sure a lot of people are rolling their eyes at that, but to be honest, I spend like 12 hours a day in front of my computer, and I just don't want a game on it. 
And I know you could set up a second PC directly to your TV. You could have the 10-foot interface so it doesn't feel like a computer. It does. It just, it does. I know that's stupid, probably, but that's how I feel, and I'm sure there's other people that feel the same way. So being able to have another method of playing those games is definitely a good thing, in my opinion. I'm interested to see how much lag is going to be added. I have tested equipment in high-end um, like home automation installations where you could do HDMI over Ethernet with zero lag. So maybe you could actually do the same thing with probably a frame or less of latency, but I guess you'll really just have to, to test and see. So once this comes out, I'll give it a try and maybe do a, a mini review of it. Um, or if there's other great reviews, I'll just link to theirs and talk about it on the roundup. But I figured I'd share the info for other people that were interested. Crix has just announced pretty much the biggest update for his Nintendo and Famicom ROM cart since its release. This update offers support for a ton of new mappers and games, uh, some of which were actually donated by Necronom5, the person who did the FM audio mapper for his Genesis cart. And it really just opens up a ton of new games to be able to be played, including Nintendo World Champions uh, Championship. Uh, Smoke Monster just posted a video on his channel that actually shows it working, um, and I haven't had a chance to play it yet, but I think it's pretty cool. Uh, World Championship is basically just a bunch of other little games stitched together, so you have to try to beat it in a, a certain amount of time, but it's one of the rarest and most expensive NES games, and now we all get to experience it. So thanks very much to Crix for the free update. I mean, it's pretty incredible that he keeps posting these updates for free for existing products. So massive, huge thanks to him, and uh, as always, thanks to Smoke Monster for posting the cool content. Hackers have figured out a way to get PSP games running on a PS4. There's a game called Parappa the Rapper, which is a PS4 remastered version of a PSP game that when unpacked, they found to basically just be the PSP ROM inside an emulator. So they were able to inject other PSP ROMs into that and get it working on jailbroken PS4s. This, of course, opens up the doors for PS1 games and uh, the whole PSP library, pretty much. So it's still a work in progress, but they're having some pretty good success. And once again, this is just yet another reason why I really love homebrew and jailbreaking. So I'll keep everybody updated if there's any more solid news, and maybe one of these days I'll get myself a jailbroken PS4 to try testing some of this stuff. DF Retro just posted a pretty cool video about the Sega Nomad. Uh, I liked their spin on it. I liked how John Linneman kind of uh, compared it to a Switch and how it had some features that really were way ahead of its time. Uh, it's an enjoyable video for anybody that's a fan of the Nomad, but one thing to definitely point out is that that screen is terrible. Um, maybe it wasn't as bad back in the day when we didn't really have anything else to compare it to, but if you look at that now, especially if you have like any cell phone sitting next to it, it's almost unplayable. So the video is great. I don't disagree with anything he said. I just wanted to reiterate that fact. Um, and it also brings up the debate, you know, do you mod a rare expensive thing like the Nomad with a newer screen to be able to play on, or do you just kind of play as is and appreciate it the way Sega released it? I don't really know. Um, I've seen both, and uh, to be honest, I think it's really just up to each person, but hopefully somebody will have a no-cut mod for it so it could be put back should we ever need it to be. But either way, it's a cool video, and if you're a fan of the Nomad, you should give it a watch. Artemio just posted an update to the Genesis version of the 240p test suite, and there's just a ton of updates and features added to it. 
He said he's going to be updating the rest of them uh, probably within a few weeks, but a bunch of cool features and uh, certain things like now you, anywhere you want, you can get to the video options by holding up and start. Just cool little things like that. There's also a checkerboard pattern, which helps for um, calibrating different displays. So as always, just a massive and huge thank you to Artemio because I mean he just does all this stuff for free for the community. So massive thank you. It's a help to all of us who need to do any kind of tweaking and testing at all. And it's really just become an essential part of my, my toolkit, if you will. So big thanks to him. Check him out on Twitter, and I'll keep everybody updated when the rest of them are posted. Last week, a popular YouTuber posted a video on how he cleans his game collection. And overall, I actually thought it was a good video, but he just, like most other people, myself included, um, didn't really make the point of how dangerous Metal Cleaner could be. And of course, it, it sparked the whole Brasso debate online, and people on both sides were acting like assholes. Um, but the truth is, this should only be used by people that genuinely understand what they're doing. And I don't think his video really got the point across on how dangerous this could be. Because when you're using metal polish, what you're actually doing is scraping off the top layer and the protective coating that goes over those pins. And if you scrub it enough, you're actually taking a microscopic layer of that metal away. So if you have a cartridge that's completely rusted out using a fiberglass pen, and then if you really need to, metal polish, will definitely fix it, but you need to understand how to clean it afterwards. Because the problem is, if you get this stuff, even just a tiny amount inside your cartridge, uh, cartridge slot on your consoles, without cleaning that properly, all of your perfectly good games will now have a little microscopic layer of metal polish on it, and will slowly wear that off too. So I know, once again, sounds like it's scary news tease, but for all of the money and time that most of us have invested in our collections, you really don't want to risk it. And this is why I'm such a massive and huge fan of ROM carts, because you just don't have to worry about that anymore. So I'll have a video coming out in a week or two, probably, that describes the exact ways that you should clean your cartridges, what to do if you have rotted and rusted cartridge pins on some of the older games, and the more complicated thing, how do you deal with cartridge slots that aren't working properly? Because most are not like the NES. You can't just pop it off and put a new one on. You have to desolder or clean it right on the board. So I'll try to dig deep into that, but for now, stick with a high, a high alcohol content isopropyl. And the number one thing which that video I don't think mentioned was just a pencil eraser. Just a, not the ones that are attached to the pencil because you don't want to hit the metal on metal. But as long as you just take isopropyl, clean it off, then take a pink pencil eraser and kind of lightly scrub that down. Don't touch it with your fingers after this because you can get your oils from your fingers on there to damage the cartridge contacts. I have seen that happen. And then just once again, uh, rinse it off with some more isopropyl on a Q-tip. That really does fix 99% of your cartridges. So if you're in that place now, just use that method. I'll have the video coming up soon on how to really dig in and clean the games that maybe can't be fixed. Um, it just, uh, it, there's also some extreme methods of fixing those games as well, which I'll probably get into. But honestly, unless you genuinely know what you're doing and unless you understand what metal polish does, don't use it on your games. Um, my website was guilty of not not expressing the danger of it. I just said use it only when you need to and people kind of took that as just use it. 
Um, I'm sorry for all that, but please just be careful because all of these games are getting so expensive and you really don't want to ruin them just because of misinformation and somebody who, who gave good information but just didn't really push the point of how dangerous this is. Nintendo just announced a new charging stand for the Switch, which is going to be available July 13th, but no word on if it has HDMI output or not, which is something that I feel is definitely missing from portable charging stands, because I really love the fact that the Switch is small and you know the whole console's all in one, but sometimes I want to just go play it on different TVs and I don't want to lug the whole thing. I like the fact that there's a stand hooked up to my main TV that I could just drop the Switch in, and I don't want to have to buy a bunch of those. It would be really cool to just have one accessory that's pretty easy to use, and something like this where you could prop up and use it with the Joy-Cons portably, or you could just stick it right into your TV if you wanted to hook it up to a second. So maybe I'm wrong, uh, correct me if I'm wrong about that, but I figured I'd let all Switch fans know in case they were looking for a new charging station. Last week I saw a bunch of online stores offering sales on the Joy-Con controllers for the Switch. They were advertised as like only $64.99 or something. And I really wanted to take the time to remind everybody that the 8-Bit Do controller is much cheaper and I actually really like it. I've been using it to play through most of my Switch games. And I do have issues with certain 8-Bit Do controllers. The D-pad, just for some reason, like I can't do Scorpion's teleport move, uh, it's hard to do Hadouken's, stuff like that, but with the, the Switch version of it, you have those analog sticks that, in my opinion, worked great, and it is significantly cheaper. So it's $50 as opposed to $70, and it just, in my opinion, it works great and it feels great. So whether, it's, uh, whether the 8-bit Doe controllers are good for classic consoles is really up to you. I do use them just because it's really handy to have a wireless controller on a setup, uh, and then I plug in my wired when I want to do some hardcore gaming. But on the Switch, I really I, this is my preferred go-to controller, and I just figured I'd share that with everybody. So maybe if you haven't used one yet, give it a try and see what you think. Hyperkin just posted on the Atari Age forums that their upcoming Retron 77, the Atari 2600 clone console, will actually have open source software on it. Now, originally they bought a version of Stella that was kind of an older, outdated version, and then there was lots of heated debates on the forums about, you know, what's the Retron 77 going to do, um, how could they do this legally and comply with licenses, and uh, I, to be honest, in my opinion, I think just open sourcing it is great. Uh, I think in this scenario, that having, as long as it's a good piece of hardware, if you're able to provide the community with a good piece of hardware and a stable OS, even if it's a basic stable OS on there to play games, then everything else is really just a plus. I don't think they would lose any money with it being open source, because uh, if the hardware is good enough, people are still going to prefer to buy that rather than maybe like a Raspberry Pi box. And then the community, if they want to add updates and they want to do different things to it, they're completely open to. Um, maybe I'm wrong about that. I just feel like having a good piece of hardware with a community effort to uh, collaborate on expanding the software, if people want to, just would make more people want to buy the hardware, not less. So, um, you know, in my interview with Chris Galizzi, I genuinely got the impression that he was on the side of the people in the community. But, you know, they're a company that needs to stay afloat, so I'm sure they're going to still put out their products, and uh, maybe not all of them are going to be great, but it does seem like they're trying very hard to, to be more community-oriented, and maybe this is another step in that direction. But I guess we'll see when it's released. I just thought that was kind of interesting and wanted to share with people. 
There's a pretty neat video that was just posted on YouTube called The Fine Art of Television Repair. Um, and it, it's just, anybody that's into this stuff should probably give it a watch. It's pretty short. It's only five minutes long, but kind of gives an insight into a lot of the, the technology from back in the day and has some pretty neat stories. So I figured I'd share it. And thanks to my buddy Kirsten for posting that for me. SNK has just announced the Neo Geo Mini, which is a fully functional tiny arcade machine with a 3.5 inch LCD display and 40 Neo Geo games preloaded. Not only is it actually a playable arcade machine, but it's going to have controller inputs and an HDMI output for a TV. So I'm definitely getting one of these things, because while I do really like the collectible mini arcades, um, they're not really functional for the most part. I mean, some are actually playable, but they're not practical. Uh, they're really just mostly for people that like collecting and having neat things to put on their shelves. But this seems like it's both a neat little collector's item that I could display and something I could use both while sitting on a desk or plugged into a TV. So, well, it's probably going to be the same type of emulation that you'll see on the NES and SNES Classic. At least you get a lot more out of it, and it kind of looks neat. So I'll, uh, there's no price or official release date, but they say it's coming soon, and I'll let everybody know when all that stuff's available, because I just think this is a fun little toy that probably a lot of us might enjoy. And speaking of Neo Geo, there's a new Unibios available for both the MVS and AES. There's actually a really long list of changes and additions and bug fixes. So uh, if you have a Unibios and you want to update, definitely check all this out because there's just a ton of stuff here and it seems like a really worthy update. There's a new SNES game being released called Fork Parker's Crunch Out, which is meant to be a lighthearted way to bring awareness of what some companies do when leading up to the video game's release, where they really just push their employees too hard up to crunch time uh, and really force them to work insane hours. I believe all of the profits are going to go for a not-for-profit mental health charity to kind of help raise awareness for all these things, and it's going to be available in two versions, a $50 regular version and then a limited edition for $150. So all of the details are on the website, and uh, hopefully it'll be a decent game. Nintendo announced they're going to be once again selling the NES Classic system. It'll be available on June 29th of this year, and I believe this is going to be their answer to the Virtual Console. So rather than have Virtual Console games on the Switch, I think they're probably just going to continue to promote this. I'm not really sure how I feel about that, but either way, if you're interested in getting one, June 29th is the date. Game Tech just announced that 50 high-def NES kits are put up for sale. He's going to have 500 more available soon. So right now, if you want to grab one quickly, just uh, one per person, and they're available directly on the website right here. Uh, you just choose your different options and add to cart, and they should still be available by the time this is uh, by the time this podcast is out. But if for whatever reason you miss it, just remember that uh, he's going to have 500 more coming relatively soon. Bloodstained Curse of the Moon was just announced for consoles and PC. Uh, and for anybody that's not aware of the situation, I'll just quickly walk through it, because it even confused me. Um, a while back, there was a Kickstarter for Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, which is kind of like a spiritual sequel to Symphony of the Night, the Castlevania game made by the same creators. And based on the videos posted, it looks exactly what you would expect a, a modern version of Symphony of the Night to be like. Uh, it looks very cool. But I guess one of the stretch goals during the Kickstarter campaign was an 8-bit Castlevania style game, and that is Bloodstained Curse of the Moon, which is going to be available by the end of this month, um, and it's exactly as you would expect. Um, it is an 8-bit 8 8 -bit Castlevania looking game um, that's just a modern take on it. 
So it kind of reminds me exactly of what the NES uh, Castlevania looks like. It's just a, a brand new game. So anybody interested in that stuff, definitely give it a try. Uh, me personally, I'm really looking forward to the actual Symphony of the Night sequel, the Ritual of the Night. So I guess we'll see when it comes out, but hopefully we'll all be playing that one relatively soon. Crix just announced that he'll be sending D-pad replacements to anybody who bought his Joy's controller. Because as you can see, it is a little bit askew. It is kind of rotated. Um, but in the very limited experience I have with this, uh, I probably only have about 20 minutes of experience. It seemed fine. I could do Hadoukens and do Scorpions Teleport, which is two things for me that I could always tell if a D-pad's good or not. Um, it feels pretty comfortable. It feels pretty much like the original. Um, it came in good condition, but it came with, like, sticker goo on the sides. I'm not really sure what that was all about. I had to kind of, like, push it off with my thumb the same you would sticker goo. But um, overall, it seems okay in the very limited testing I've done with it. But I also want to test uh, lag on this. I want to test interference because 2.4 gigahertz signals in an apartment building in New York, it's like the perfect test to see if something can go wrong because it's there's just so many wireless 2.4 signals surrounding um, but overall with my limited experience it seems pretty cool and hopefully i'll be able to really dig in and give it a full review soon marcus just posted an update to his cps2 hdmi output kit um, and he shows the new pcbs and how they mount and it's looking pretty cool um, i'm very much looking forward to trying one of these things out uh, I really want to get over to uh, iFix Arcade and install one of these and really see how people think it feels versus the actual Street Fighter CPS2 game, uh, games on a, on a CRT. Uh, I feel like if we get some low-lag TVs, including the one from Zeeseworks, maybe I'll be able to get one of those over there soon. But I just think it'll, uh, I think it'll be a really great thing for people who can't always bring CRTs to places um, for newer shops that want to do competitive gaming that, you know, CRTs, they stop making them, which means there's a finite amount left. So being able to have a digital output for those games is a pretty big deal. So hopefully we can get to test one of these pretty soon and, uh, and get some of the actual fighting champs to play it and see what they think. But I'm pretty excited for it. Someone just sent me a link to an FPGA-based Commodore 64 drop-in replacement motherboard. So while I don't know much about the Commodore 64, this looks pretty cool. It's basically, uh, you could either take the motherboard out of your existing Commodore 64, or you could buy one of those new pre-made shells that have just been released, I think a few years ago, um, and it has HDMI and RGB output, which I think is pretty incredible. Uh, I saw a review of it where they actually show the different ports and they show it in action. Um, and I just think this might be a perfect solution for people that need RGB or HDMI out as opposed to just the current S-Video out that's available. So uh, if anybody knows more about this, please let me know because I just think this might be the perfect way for me to experience the Commodore 64. Um, I guess I would need to buy that aftermarket shell. The shell doesn't come with a keyboard, so I would need to find a keyboard that fits in. And then, of course, I would need to buy this motherboard and probably a joystick to go with it. So I, I know nothing about the Commodore 64, so hopefully uh, somebody out there will be able to help. And um, that way we don't have to gut or ruin original Commodore 64s. We could just kind of build a new one out of new parts. And just for the record, I believe the aftermarket Commodore 64 shells that are available are from the original molds. So it really is essentially like a new original. 
Um, so thanks to my buddy Wendell for sending that over. And if maybe we could compile a great way to buy these, or if somebody, maybe there's a store out there that would be able to put together one of these kits and just sell it complete for you know a, a fair markup. I think it would be a really cool way to experience the Commodore 64. So please post down below and let me know if you have more information on this. Someone just posted pictures of a prototype they're calling the Osala Arcade System. And while it's not available for order, I had to talk about it because it looks really awesome. It's basically a kit that plugs into an old oscilloscope that uses a vector screen to turn it into a vector arcade system. Um, I absolutely love stuff like this because I really think that vector monitors are things that need to be preserved because there's no way you could emulate this in any other platform. Um, you can't ever make an LCD or any other screen look like a vector monitor. So I, I think we really need to find different ways to keep this stuff alive. Um, I still really want one of those color conversion uh, vector monitor kits for CRTs. Um, those were available on a Facebook forum, and I think they were really complicated to install, but it basically turned a color tube TV into a color vector monitor. Uh, and I, love, I would love one of those with a really great emulation box hooked up to it. So maybe a Vectrix FPGA core. Uh, I would love to play Star Wars Arcade on that. Um, and boxes like this would probably work great as well. So um, while this is a really awesome thing, I think it's just one more step closer to just doing more and more emulation with vector monitors. And while I've seen the opposite before, I've seen people take the monitors out of an oscilloscope and make like a mini Vectrix out of it, I just think uh, doing something like this is even cooler because uh, while it's a little ridiculous, I'd love to have one of these set up and have one of my friends come play a Vectrix game on an oscilloscope. Uh, but anybody that, that has more information on that or, or, or maybe if you know the people that posted the webpage, let me know because at the very least, I'd love to do a mini review of it and, and get more information out there for other people just so we can help keep these things alive. Here's just a quick fun one. I saw somebody posted links to an Etsy shop that has dust covers for a ton of different consoles, including things like the Famicom disk system, so it could go over the Famicom and the disk system, and I believe they even have one that goes over the 32X and Genesis. So, yeah, so uh, while these things aren't necessary, I like them a lot, and uh, they're, they're very fairly priced. I've seen some of these for like 80 bucks on eBay, and these are all under 20 I believe. Some of them are even under $10. So if you're into dust covers or just something kind of neat to help protect your consoles, maybe take a look. I saw a few things up on Indie Retro News that I thought I would take the time to quickly share with everybody. The first is a game from the Mojan Twins called Boote, Booty, not really sure how to pronounce it, but it's basically just a classic side-scrolling Nest-style game, and I believe it's going to be available pretty much by the time this airs, so hopefully there'll be more information on this for next week. Um, also, there's a game called Horizon Chase Turbo, which is kind of like a 90s arcade-style racer. Um, so for anybody that was waiting for a 90s arcade racer, which is three years since the last update's been posted, uh, maybe this is a, a better game and something to you know that you won't have to wait for, because it should be available pretty much any time. Uh, and lastly is a game called Fox and Forests. So it's kind of like a 16-bit style platformer that's available on consoles May 17th, so the end of this week. 
Um, and I'm really looking forward to this. Um, you know, I'd played a bunch of games this year that I had kind of mixed feelings about. Uh, I'm still waiting for my friend to come down to do a Beat It 2018 video on uh, the games that we played and the game that he forced me to play. Uh, but I think this one might be the next on my list to give a try to. Um, it looks like a lot of fun, and uh, hopefully it'll stay true to the, the style of play that I prefer, at least. Um, but I just figured I would give the Indie Retro News update. That website concentrates a lot more on Spectrum and Commodore games and kind of the generation before the games that I really focus on. Um, and I really think it's an awesome website, so if you're into the older style game, definitely check that one out, and I'll continue to kind of tell things that are more relative to the stuff that I usually talk about on this channel. But I just wanted to give a very quick two-minute update of what was going on and uh, for things that maybe the average listener of this show might be interested in. I just did an interview with Zeese from Zeeseworks, who created a zero-lag kit for two different LCD panels. And that's not like a clickbaity title. He actually did that. Um, he has two specific panels that he's using. And with his kit, you get something like 30 microseconds of lag, which is about CRT level. So it's not anything a gamer could ever possibly notice. Um, I thought it was a great interview. I had a lot of fun talking to him, and I can't wait to test his products out and then have him back on to kind of get even more in-depth on what his products can do. The one comment that I definitely saw pop up a couple times is people felt like uh, he wasn't very happy talking about the gaming side of things, but it's my, uh, I, it's my impression that he just didn't want to turn it into like an infomercial. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just got the impression that he wanted to have a nerd-to-nerd -nerd talk about his products and what they can do, and he didn't want to feel like he was trying to sell them to people. Uh, like I said, it's just my interpretation. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But uh, after we you know, stopped recording, he actually talked about a gaming installation that were, used his panels that he was very proud of. So I understand how people might have interpreted it that way, but that's uh, certainly not the way I interpreted it and just felt like mentioning that to everybody. So hopefully I will have him back on pretty soon. I want to test out his products. I want to test out that 39-inch Seiki TV, which my brother actually has one, so I'll be able to hook it up to that and give it a try. Uh, so you'll be definitely be seeing him again, and I can't wait to test out the technology to see if his zero-lag 4K integer scale kits actually work as good as I hope. Now it's time for this week's Patreon giveaway for the YouTube Superstar Bundle, including Pat Contry's Nest Book, which I very respectfully called it a cool coffee table book, because I really do think um, having this out for Nest fans to look at would be a pretty cool thing, and Nutsack Volume 2 on Blu-ray. So uh, let's fire up the spin wheel and do the drawing. Okay, time for the giveaway. Let's fire up the spin wheel. QC Retro. All right, QC Retro, congratulations for the YouTube Superstar giveaway. I hope you dig the book in the Blu-ray, and thank you so much for being a Patreon supporter, because without you guys, I couldn't do this. Well, that's it for this week. I have a whole bunch more stuff coming up soon. I'm still trying to catch up, and I'm back on track for at least an interview, the weekly roundup, and then the Patreon Q&A. Uh, I hope to put out at least one more video a week, too, and then add a ton more stuff to the website. I got a bunch more announcements and cool stuff coming, but for now, I think I'm sort of on track, uh, and I just really hope to continue doing this. 
Also, I have to say thank you, as always, to all the amazing Patreons. None of this stuff would be possible without you guys, so thank you so much, and please share and keep them going. Um, I'm going to try to get even better giveaways and hopefully continue giving more than one giveaway a month. Uh, a lot of people have reached out and offered to help with that, so thanks to you guys, too. And uh, just really happy to be back, and I will see you guys next week. 